Welcome to another Alive at Springwood podcast, brought to you by Springwood Presbyterian Churches, where we don't believe churches are buildings. Churches are people. Disciples of Jesus bound together in diversity by God's love, while pursuing faithfulness and vulnerability, celebration and lament, reading the Bible and prayer. May you be encouraged and God glorified by this edition. Good to be here. I've been looking forward to tonight for months as we commence a series in John. I hope you got the bulletin this week. Um, we put a lot of resources to assist us in our John reading, uh, videos, a concert, commentaries, uh, Bible project material. Uh, if you haven't got the bulletin, there might be some hard copies left, and if not, Check your email attachments. You know that something audacious is occurring when a New Testament author commences a book with the words, in the beginning. How amazing to take the words of Genesis 1 and reuse them in a New Testament gospel. Let's pray as we attend to John 1. Lord, bless us with hearing ears and open hearts tonight. Glorify yourself as we look at your word that you've given to us speak to us comfort and strengthen guide teach us in jesus name amen well we've just been through australia day a time of lament for many celebration as well but tension around that story and this coming sunday the queen will become the first british monarch ever to celebrate a platinum jubilee. 70 years have passed since she acceded to the throne on the 6th of February 1952. She was 25 years old at the time and then in 53 and 54 she toured her kingdom coming to Australia during 1954 as one of 13 Commonwealth nations where she visited her people. At the time she landed here in Sydney, the 3rd of February 1954, my twin brother Ian and I were one year and four months old. Her tour of Commonwealth nations was remarkably well received. In Australia here, she visited some 80 locations, including, for example, Broken Hill, and it's estimated that of a nation of about 10 million people at the time, 7 million turned out in person to see the Queen. Nine years later, Prime Minister Robert Menzies famously recited these words concerning the Queen. I did but see her passing by, and yet I love her till I die. My father loved Robert Menzies, a poetic Prime Minister on that occasion. Well, times have changed. Important dialogue is now occurring about the British occupation of this land, about membership of the Commonwealth, about the value of the royal family. There will be more tensions this year. But in 1953-54, the royal tour stopped the nation 
the newly crowned queen toured her world. And perhaps this provides a glimpse by way of both contrast and comparison into the dynamic of John 1, 1 to 18. Because God is on the move in John. God has come from the throne. God has come from heaven. He's come down. He's touring his world and his world does not receive him. He is not welcomed in the person of Jesus. But in John, God comes to and then stays in his world. And at the end of John, and we'll be there around about three weeks before Christmas, all going to plan, Jesus is on the beach cooking breakfast and teaching his disciples. John is not initially writing about Jesus as a king, though that is implied and stated in 149 by Nathaniel, who says, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. But John has bigger language for Jesus than king in this book. Jesus is creator. And what John does is brilliantly take the language of Genesis 1, the language of creation, the language of the first book of scripture, and he gives it all to Jesus, the word. John is on about much more than kingship. He's on about an entire new world, an entire new creation. And I want to uh, spend time exploring John 1 tonight, and we could, we could do 10 sermons on John 1, through four of John's big ideas. Word, witness, world, and one and only. Word, witness, world, and one and only. 1, 1 to 5... Jesus is the Word. It's the beginning, and the beginning belongs to the Word. The beginning belongs to God's Word, who is with God and who is God. The beginning belongs to a God who speaks within the Godhead of a divine community, fully revealed in New Testament scriptures as the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Logos is the Greek word for word. The word speaks. This is God's will. This is God's wisdom. This is God's expression. Let there be, and it was so in Genesis. The word generates everything. There is nothing the word did not make. The word made everything. The word speaks life, and life is light, and into the darkness the life and the light penetrates and the darkness shrinks and is overwhelmed by life and light and the word is powerful and prevailing and at the end of verse 5 we pause we breathe we sit and ponder Genesis the sequence here is the same as in Genesis beginning word God life light and we need to stop and wonder at the end of verse 5. And by way of contrast to other ancient creation stories, 
we're thankful and perhaps surprised that in the creation, as Scripture tells it, there is no conflict, there is no blood spilling, there is no battle, there is no tearing apart, there is no anger, there's not even any effort. There's speaking. Let it be. And it was so. Word. Well, the second big idea in John 1 is witness. And in 1, 6 to 8, we have the first of seven who will bear witness to Jesus. And it's John, the Baptist, often we call him. But in John, he is, I think, better named as John the Witness. John the Witness is from the tribe of Levi. He's related to Moses and Aaron and Miriam and priests. He is a witness and three times in John 1, 6 to 8 we're told that he comes as a witness to bear witness. He comes to bear witness. His witness is true. He announces the coming of the living light. The other witnesses in John are the Father, the Son, the Spirit, Christ's works the scriptures, and then other human beings like disciples and the Samaritan woman and crowds. But John the witness is the first of the seven right here in 1.6. And the third big word in John is the word world. And the word world starts to appear in verses 9 through 13. The light is coming into the world. The light is in the world. The world belongs to God, but the world does not know him. The world does not welcome him. He shines on his own people Israel. He comes to his home, but he's not welcomed there. World is not a neutral term in John. It refers to the populated creation in rebellion. Loving the darkness, not the light. And many, many in the world do not receive Jesus, do not welcome Jesus. But the message of John over and over again and stated explicitly in chapter 3, God so loved the world. He loved those who were enemies. He loved those who turned away. He loved those who wanted darkness. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And in 1.12 and 13, we have these powerful words to all who did welcome him, receiving him, believing in him, he gave the right to become children of God, born of God. And that conversation is going to happen in chapter 3 with Nicodemus. The authority to become one of God's children is granted by Jesus. And then 114 to 18, word, witness, world, one and only. The word in whom is the beginning. The word became flesh. The word becomes flesh and blood. The word becomes human. And many philosophers of John's day in that first century are aghast at 1.14. Why would the word 
become flesh. Flesh is corrupt, second-rate, impure. Surely our goal is to get out of the flesh, not to get into the flesh, to put it off, to be free of it, to be pure spirit. The flesh is a kind of jailhouse. It's smelly and failing. It leaks and creaks. Why would the word live in flesh? The word flesh often has sort of dark meanings as well as human existence. Uh, it becomes a word that John draws on the Old Testament to describe. He uses the language of this tent that was made at the time of Exodus that Israel then carried around through their wilderness wandering made of animal skins and posts and pillars and had furniture and God's glory rested on this tabernacle tent that was stood on the ground and God's words came out of this tent and John says that tent is now like Jesus. Jesus is a human living presence of God. God's glory is on this person Jesus, God is among us like that tent used to be among us. And as John sees Jesus, he sees the brightness, the glory of the unique one and only. He sees the fullness of grace and truth in Jesus more than ever before, more than Moses, more than law. Grace and truth are big words, full words. And it's interesting that where is the word truth continues to be used all the way through John. And Jesus says of himself, I am the truth, I am the way, the truth and the life. Only here, in John 1, do we find the word grace used four times and then John doesn't use it again. Grace and truth. But what happens to grace in John, I think, is that it becomes embodied in Christ's love, in the gracious words and deeds of, John, of Jesus, healing and feeding and blessing and raising from the dead. And perhaps John keeps focusing on truth because of the world being such a dark and rebellious and deceitful and hypocritical place and truth is under attack in John. But Jesus' grace flows out in love. 118 is one of the greatest statements in all of the Bible concerning Jesus. John says, no one has ever seen God, not fully in all God's splendor and majesty, but the one and only Son who is unique, who is himself God, and who is in the closest relationship possible with the Father. Jesus has revealed God. He's made him known. He's manifested God. Word, witness, world, one and only. These are some of the biggest ideas in John, along with others, such as flesh and truth and glory and love. They seem profound and challenging, but the beauty of the book of John is that John earths them on the ground of the world in which Jesus lives. 
He has meetings with Nicodemus, with a Samaritan woman. He has meals with disciples and crowds. He has relationships and friendships with Martha and Mary and Lazarus and John and Peter and disciples. He has confrontations with Jewish leadership, with Pontius Pilate. And so what John is doing is he's saying, heaven has come to earth and let me ground Jesus in all the stuff of life. John gives us a compilation of scenes from the life of the God who became human. Heaven comes to earth in the person of Jesus and stays. Jesus is heavenly. He is uniquely the Son of God in intimate relationship with God his Father and the Spirit. He performs signs. He is the I Am who has always existed. But he's earthly and vulnerable. He gets tired. He weeps. He dies. He's buried. He eats. He drinks. He cooks breakfast. There's something ordinary and extraordinary at the same time about John's portrayal of Jesus. There's always heavenly meanings and earthly meanings and they're all wrapped up together. God and humanness now are participating in the one Jesus, in the embrace of humanness through incarnation and their resurrection. Jesus launches the new creation in himself. Our bodies, our flesh and blood, our humanness, our tiredness, our ordinariness, our communities of relationship, this church, our speaking, our eating, our drinking, our sleeping, this is the locus of God's divine and powerful presence and love. He weeps with us, he walks with us, he laughs with us, he guides us. Heaven has come to earth. And the locus of God's work is our bodies and our communities. We're living in times when the meaning of humanness is under question. And the meaning of our bodies is under question. What does it mean to be human? How important is a human body? Well, John is a great starting point for thinking about our bodies and our communities. Look at Jesus to know God. Look at Jesus to know humanness. I've been enjoying and been challenged by a book lately called This Too Shall Last. It's written by K.J. Ramsey, Katie Jo Ramsey, who's written about a book on her suffering and pain that isn't going away. More than a decade ago, overnight almost, she was diagnosed with ankylosing spondylitis, an autoimmune disease which left her in incredible pain. And as she writes the book, it continues. She writes, out of nowhere, the majority of my life consisted of crying tears on my own, 
within the confines of four cinder block walls, too sick on most days to even get out of bed. The body that had effortlessly carried me through the winding, steep paths of my mountainous college campus could now barely hold itself up in bed. The limbs that climbed limestone cliffs between classes now struggled to walk 14 steps to the bathroom. At night, I'd often not be able to sleep because of pain. And after hours of no relief, I'd cry from the excruciation. One flatmate in particular would often find me awake in the middle of the night, weeping on the floor of our shared study room. Instead of turning the other way, or quipping about how early she had to get up for an exam, Katie would join me on the floor, massaging my aching hands as I sobbed into her chest. She writes, this is grace. God joined us on the floor of this earth. God did not stay away from our pain. He did not judge it from a distance. He did not pity it from the other side of the universe. He became it. Grace is solidarity instead of scrutiny. This is the power that sustains us when suffering lingers. God took on the human condition you and I so struggle to bear so we could be enfolded in his love. Our bodies and our communities are the locus of God's divine presence and love. God has invited us to participate in his divinity and God graciously has desired to participate in our humanity. And there are times of celebration and there are times of sadness. There are times of high energy and there are times of senility. There are times of well-being and there are times of deep sadness. Our bodies and our communities are the locus of God's presence and love. Heaven has come down to stay. This year, as we read and study through John, my prayer is that we will look at Jesus to know God. We will look at Jesus to know our humanness. And over the times that we have to open up John together and then I trust uh, speak about it in our small groups and pray about it as we're walking and share with our friends about what John says, we will love getting to know Jesus. We will love getting to know God. And we will love getting to know more thoroughly our humanness as we see John speak about this Profound participation of God in the body, in the community of bodies. Heaven has come down to stay. Well, let's pray. Father, we offer our bodies to you again tonight and ask you to participate with us there. And we pray that through your spirit we might participate in your divinity.
that you will lift us up as you have come down to the floor of the earth. And that in that meeting, grace and truth will abound. Thanks, Lord, for the remarkable vision in John. Uh, teach us this year, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.